Hi, and welcome to another short interview. Today, I'm joined by Thomas. I met Thomas at the Free Silicon Conference in Paris last year, and he did a great presentation about using x-rays to do 3D imaging of chips. But unfortunately, his talk wasn't recorded. Uh, so now I'm getting him on to do a little chat. And also, we're going to be doing an experiment together later on this year. So Thomas, welcome. Hi. Yeah. It was such a shame your uh, talk, uh, something went wrong with the recording, because I thought that was one of the most uh, interesting, at least for me, talks at the Free Silicon Conference. Um, Thanks. Do you want to tell us a little bit about, um, give us a little recap of what that talk was about and maybe show some pictures? Yeah, so maybe I can show some slides. And uh, So, okay, maybe a bit about me. I did my PhD in computational imaging. And it was in the visible eye domain. I was building these computational microscopes. So the goal is to enhance the imaging performance uh, as best as you can beyond the limitations of the optics and so on. And then I moved into the x-ray domain. So now I'm doing a, my postdoctoral work after my PhD. Uh, so I'm applying the same computational imaging concepts for x-ray imaging. And today I'll try to, maybe I'll introduce what it means to do computational imaging, and then uh, this will give some context further on. So computational imaging is not image processing. So for example, Photoshop, you can think of that as image processing. So you take an existing image and then you try to enhance it. Uh, computational imaging though, it tries to produce a good enough image in the first place. So for example, Photoshop cannot increase the resolution beyond what the imaging system was able to capture. So my goal is to create an imaging system that can increase, let's say, the resolution or contrast of images that would not be possible with post-processing. And so one limitation in imaging is that of a lens. So when you illuminate, uh, for example, a sample under a microscope, it scatters light in every single direction. And then, so the quantity of this light, the amount of this light that you can capture will determine the resolution of your images. So for example, you would need to make large enough lenses to collect all of the light and to achieve the desired resolution. Now in the visible eye domain, we have lots of experience making these lenses. So it's easy for us to reach the resolution limits that are possible in visible eye domain. But with X-rays, it's really hard to make lenses that can do that because X-rays, as you know, for medical imaging, X-rays can penetrate to the whole human tissue, you know, when doing an X-ray scan. So they also penetrate through lenses. So it's extremely difficult to make a lens that can capture all of the scattered light and make a reasonable image. So in X-rays, these lenses look something like that. This is a Fresnel zone plate. This is. Uh, a binary structure which either fully transmits light or absorbs it. It's made, for example, using gold. And as you can see, as the further you go uh, towards the edge, the smaller the structures get. And this, the, the size of these structures, the smallest structures will determine the resolution of your imaging system. Now, typically, X-ray microscopes are limited to 50 to 100 nanometers in, in practice. So, because manufacturing these tiny, tiny structures is really hard. If you would like a one nanometer resolution, your structure size should be a nanometer. And I think currently nothing like that exists. So computational imaging, what is that? So 
rather than trying to manufacture better and better optics, which is which will eventually lead uh, to which will be fundamentally limited at some point by our manufacturing capabilities. So what we do is we remove the lens entirely. So we capture the, you can say, raw information that is scattered by the sample once it's illuminated. And typically it looks gibberish. So it's just some speckle that you capture with your camera. But, you know, physicists have been working on uh, understanding how light interacts with matter and how it propagates in space for a long time. So we actually know how light propagates. We know what lenses do in practice to the light, and we know how the image is transformed. So by capturing this gibberish, you can recover the true image uh, by using computer algorithms and the knowledge of the underlying physics. So you can think of lenses as being analog, uh, converters that convert this light into an image. And what I'm doing is digital conversion from this gibberish that we collect into images. And there are multiple methods that can do this. Uh, holography is one of them, for example. I work on a technique called tachography, but I'll not go into details how that works. And by using these techniques, I can collect two-dimensional images of various samples using X-rays that uh, whose resolution goes beyond what is capable you, with conventional X-ray optics. And then, of course, once we can collect a 2D image, you can do tomography. Yeah, so this is the chip that we can capture with our method. So it was an experiment then, how many years ago? Eight, nine years ago. Uh, so we imaged uh, our detector. It's called an Iger. It's a... Uh, single pixel county detector. And this is part of it that we imaged. Um, what do you want to show with this? Single photon, I'm sorry. <laughs> okay, so you have like yes. a, a normal style CMOS sensor or something, do you? No, this is a bit more advanced. Um, so the pixel size here are quite big. So they're 75 microns in size. So mm -hmm. I think here you see Based on the scale bar, you can see each block is a single pixel. And these pixels are large compared to a CMOS camera, but they are capable of counting individual photons. So the number of pixels, like the intensity of pixels on your image uh, says how many photons you collected. Okay. Uh, yeah. And then you need a very special light source, which I'll, I guess we'll get to that in a bit. Yes, uh, maybe a bit later. Yeah, I can yeah. speak about that as well. Okay. Yeah, so, so we can capture images of whatever. It can be biological tissues. In this case, it's a chip. And we, we can fine-tune the resolution that we want. We can go below 10 nanometers or image at 100 nanometers. And since we're scanning the field of view of the sample, we can image as large of a sample as we want, as long as the time permits. And another advantage of this technique is that it's quantitative. So we can actually see what materials are inside the image. So for example, here, a white uh, could represent copper. This uh, grayish color represents silicon and so on. So yeah, we can also quantify elemental materials. Within That's interesting. Can you tell images. the difference between P and N-type doped silicon? 
Yeah, we, we were wondering about that and we thought maybe, but okay. it's questionable. It's it's very small, the, the, the difference. The difference, yeah. The, the impurities are so rare. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we need good contrast in the first place. Mm. For example, why I like imaging chips is because it's copper. That's highly scattering. Well, copper or some other metal and silicon, which is really weakly scattering. So this difference between materials makes it very nice to uh, capture nice images for us. Nice. Okay, and this is 2D. And basically the, the way we do 3D imaging is, uh, I can show it here. Yeah. I remember seeing this at the free sitting conference <laughs> and I was like, what the hell? This is amazing. <laughs> I think one okay. thing that's really interesting for chip designers is that we're used to seeing the GDS. You know, we, we often write in Verilog, so we're like one abstraction away, then it gets turned into standard cells. So that's another abstraction. And then when you're looking at, which, and you don't even need to e even open the GDS files, but I, I like to, because I like the, like the, the, the image you've got in the background here is a, a 3D render, mm -hmm. but it's of this perfect GDS file. But then when you see like what, what you've achieved here is the reality is that things aren't just like completely square. There's a three dimensionality. There's things have soft corners. Things are kind of squashed together a bit. You know, it's not perfect. It's a, it's a real structure. And I, that's, I think it's really interesting to see that. Yeah, the rounding could also be parts, uh, a fault on our side. Maybe the reconstruction didn't fully work or the resolution is a bit less than it should be. So stuff appears blurry, but in, in cases we, we, we can see defects. Yeah. So they're yeah. actually visible and identifiable. Yeah. Okay. So to get the, the 3D imaging, you have to rotate the sample. Yeah, basically. So it's, it's like uh, the medical computer tomography. Uh, you rotate the camera around the human and capture mm -hmm. images from multiple angles. Here we rotate the sample instead and we use this computational technique at each angle to get uh, a pro the so-called projection or an image. And then you can render a three-dimensional volume from mm -hmm. that. Yes, when, when, the, when the slice goes through, it's so cool seeing the vias to the different layers. We have a bigger video now. Yeah. So oh, yeah. This is uh, an old chip that we image, but it was uh, a commercially purchased chip that we yeah. polished down, extracted the sample. I think it was an Intel chip, 22 nanometer technology. And yeah, we took, took an image. Uh, the resolution at that time, and even now, I think it's, it's really good, 15 nanometers. So yeah, we were able to resolve everything down to the transistor level. Uh, chips nowadays, so... I think the last image had a seven nanometer uh, yeah. FinFET technology. And I think they're approaching three nanometers or five now. So our resolution also must keep up with, with these changes. Yeah. It's, oh, another thing I really like seeing is how you see each layer gets bigger than the previous layer, which I think is an yeah. easy thing to kind <laughs> of forget. And that's why the top level masks are cheaper than the, the bottom level masks. Mm -hmm. For me, it's super impressive seeing this because before I didn't know much about chips and then I realized how the, the manufacturing precision and, and scale yeah, it's is just incredible. Yeah. Mind boggling. I know. Even yeah. designing chips, I, I'm, I'm a bit surprised people are able to do it because 
Looks, we're working on making that easier <laughs> but yeah. one day you can uh, do an image of your own ship i'll help you tape something out nice <laughs> okay so this was 3d imaging what do you have next yeah and then i can talk about okay yeah the synchrotron, about the, the synchrotron yeah okay so this is the facility i work in it's called the synchrotron um electrons are being accelerated inside it and then when they change direction uh they emit x-ray radiation. So along this circle, there are many stations that do experiments called beamlines. And I'm part of one beamline called CSEX. So this is how, or one image of how the beamline looks like inside. Um, on the right, you see this thin metal tube going inside the box. So that's where the x-rays are coming from. So the x-ray beam is really really small it's, it's not big at all uh, this black thing is our experimental station or one of them and then on the left there's a big metal tube it's called a flight tube which is operated in vacuum so that when the sample scatters x-rays they enter this tube and they propagate to the detector in the vacuum and we do this because if x-rays propagate in air they get scattered a little bit and that reduces image quality. So, you know, high precision, uh, everything is in vacuum. And so is so the on. detector at the end of that barrel then? Yeah, yeah. Okay, and then the sample is inside your black box and that's where the, where you can rotate it and so on, position it. Yes, it's, it's inside the black box. So it, it's basically just a scanning stage. Mm. I mean, basically, okay. it's, it's a really advanced scanning stage, really yeah. precise, but yeah. it uh, just rotates and moves the sample around. Okay. But it so has it's, interferometers. It's a little bit like a scanning electron microscope in that you've got to pump it down to a vacuum and you're manipulating a sample inside this little space. And But instead of using electrons, you're using X-rays. Yeah, but, but the sample itself is not in vacuum. It's still in air. It's just... Oh, okay. Once the light leaves the sample, we... The, this tube is placed as close as possible so that x-rays okay. propagate as little as possible through there. So maybe that makes it like quicker to change samples then that you don't have to pump up and down the... Yeah, and it allows, it allows other things as well. So we can put, you know, a heating stage where the sample is being heated to mm -hmm. 600 degrees, for example. We can do humidity experiments and so on. So if you're not operating in vacuum, you have freedom to change the sample environments a yeah. lot. So that's nice. Um, one thing that is quite interesting with electron uh, scanning microscopes is that you when you, you can actually run a circuit or a, um, a design while it's in the um, instrument and you can actually see the, the flow of electrons in a way. Is that something mm -hmm. that um, because the the flow of electrons is creating these small electric fields and then that's having an effect on the electrons that are impacting and bouncing off. Does the same, is the same thing at all possible with the x-rays or is it they don't interact at all? Yes, I think it's possible. Um, mm. Well, at least, hmm, okay. So we've measured batteries, charging and discharging, uh, but okay. I don't know if we can detect the actual charges themselves rather than the effect they have onto the battery. Mm. Uh, but people do measure magnetism and polarization and things like that. So maybe it is possible. I, I should check. I never thought yeah. about Yeah, interesting. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Because I am um, with, so maybe now is a good time. So do you have any more um, slides yes. to see you want to share? 
Yes, I don't know. I, I thought maybe there's a time for them or not. Yeah, 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 sure. Yeah. Okay. Uh, yeah. So I showed that you can do tomography. So you rotate the sample uh, in front of an extra beam and capture these so-called projections. But, uh, you know, chips are quite large or quite wide. So they thin and flat. And Depends on big. your relative scale, yeah. doesn't it? Yeah. So... But let's say a chip is a centimeter. So okay. the X-rays and the energies that we're uh, uh, using, they cannot easily penetrate to so much material. So the X-ray beam will get attenuated quite a lot. Mm -hmm. And another issue is that the fundamental physical limitations of our imaging technique requires samples to be of a certain thickness, whereas you know a centimeter is a bit too much for I don't know. And I think anyone has ever imaged a centimeter thick sample at the resolutions that we're talking about. So I don't think it's even possible. So doing tomography is kind of unrealistic. And so, for example, on the right, you see the typical samples that are being used for X-ray tomography in our beamline. So this pillar is 10 micrometers in diameter, which is thinner than a human hair. And so people bring samples like that for us to image. And so you have you know, to prepare the sample first, like cut out a little core or something. Is that yeah, with like was, plasma etching or how do you how do you do that? So at least here uh, in Polcher Institute, we use we have an electro electron microscope facility. So we use uh, focused ion beam okay. milling to you know cut out tiny pillars. Yeah. So the the sample uh, uh, extraction itself takes probably a day so okay it's, it can get quite involved um, so what we're gonna do for our experiment is use a different configuration called laminography so the sample gets uh, rotated at an angle so now the x-ray beam only goes through a relatively thin portion of the chip and so it doesn't violate any of the requirements and now if you so we'll have we'll take the die that you gave us and then we'll polish it down such that we're only left with the active layer where the circuitry is and that's maybe i don't know up to 20 microns thick so it's it's, it's super super thin so we'll mm -hmm. prepare a, a wafer like that and image in this nice configuration so here basically we can scan as long as we want okay so, and we'll be able to move around uh, the chip to focus on different designs yeah yeah and even ah okay so and that's the video that we once got what is it, four years ago, three years ago, using this laminography technique. So we took a, an overview of the whole chip at a low resolution, and then we found the region that we like, and then we imaged it at a high resolution. So this disk is the high resolution uh, imaging result. Yeah. And here you can resolve stuff down to the transistor layer. People even uh, identified yeah, some. You can see the standard cells, yeah. Wow! Yeah, so yeah, here you can amazing. see everything in 3D. You can go through all the layers uh, down to the transistors. People identify the inverter circuits. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, this this is quite cool. So here, this this tiny pillar <laughs> where the transistors were resolved, uh, I think it was 40 micrometers, yeah, in diameter. And in the experiment that we'll be doing with your chips, we'll aim to image at least a millimeter squared. So a millimeter in diameter so much 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 bigger and mm. yeah i think it's gonna look quite quite cool
and uh, yeah this okay there it is one of my last slides this is this is the chip that we got image yeah um yeah and so what i want to emphasize is that during the experiment there's three variables that you need to keep in mind so that's the field of view resolution and time and mm -hmm. it typically can uh, so if, if you want high resolution imaging, uh, the field of view must be low, or if you want to increase the field of view at a high resolution, the time will it's gonna decrease be long. and so on. Mm -hmm. So it's, there's always trade-offs that we need to keep in mind. Yeah. And uh, maybe, maybe just to get uh, appreciation of uh, what we're doing. So uh, we imaged a five micron diameter chip at five nanometer resolution, and it took us two days. So let's say, so this was a new seven nanometer technology chip. So mm. now let's see if you want to map out the whole chip like that and do some uh, inspection for defects and so on. Yeah, it, it would take years of imaging. <laughs> and uh, we have the state of the art equipment. So I think no one in the world can can do faster than we can. And it would still, yeah, in the end would take years to do that. Mm. Uh, so part of this experiment that we want to do is to try to cut down this time because chips are special structures. They have directional, uh, they scatter lights strongly only in a few directions, depending on where the circuitry is pointing to. So, you know, and, and this typically happens only at a few select angles. So mm -hmm. we'll try to exploit this special unique feature of chips. Uh, that wouldn't apply to any other sample type and try to cut down imaging times quite significantly. I mean, it will still be far away from what you could, what people would want to do, let's say in Samsung to inspect their chips, but uh, it's moving closer in that image direction. Yeah. Great. Okay. Well, we can pick one of the, um, one of the designs on this. So that's my first, um, first ever ASIC. Uh, we can pick one of the designs and then do a kind of a low resolution quick scan to get the whole design in and then maybe like focus in on like a few standard cells and try and get a really because sky 130 is a really big like relatively old technology so with the resolution that you have we should be able to get a really um, nice um, understanding of the the actual manufacturing see like how close it matches the the GDS that we gave. Yeah, so since it's an older technology, we can image at a lower resolution than mm. what we might typically do. And this allows us to do a big field of view. So multiple of these uh, circuits uh, can, can be imaged during the imaging time that we have. Mm -hmm. So yeah, it will be interesting. Yeah, yeah so the plan is um, I'm going to come over to Switzerland and we'll um, make a video showing the beamline. You've already asked for permission for us to shoot a video in there, so that'll be really cool to see um, Particle Accelerator. I've seen one in uh, Berkeley, the Advanced Light Source, but it'll be cool to make a video about one. And then, yeah, we can get some amazing 3D images of um, my first chip designs. So yeah, cool. I guess um, after you've done the scanning, how long does it take to crunch the data and produce the images? If it's standard operation, you get the images as the measurement is going. Okay. So the same day, but Amazing. here, here uh, we'll have to see uh, since 
Uh, there will be a lot of experimental uh, new methods developed mm -hmm. uh, for the analysis. Great. It might take yeah, so a while. <laughs> so yeah, so just to end then, um, maybe you can explain like what, why is this interesting to you? Um, okay, so part of the reason why I'm employed here is to push the resolution of, of X-ray imaging. And uh, as I mentioned before, circuits are really nice samples because uh, there's mostly, the, the contrast is really good. So you have metal connectors and silicon in between. And this allows you to get really good signal. And this is good for high resolution mm -hmm. imaging. So this is one thing. Yeah, And just, from the standpoint of intellectual interest, uh, I find chip inspection kind of interesting. It's it's nice to look at, and uh, mm. I think there's a big need, in, uh, at least for the industry, to be able to do um, defect analysis. So I don't know. It's, it's just an intellectually stimulating uh, but, but problem. Why the, to solve. But why these chips? Why these like ones made with an open source PDK and? Like, is there anything special about them for you, or it doesn't really matter? Uh, it does matter. I, I like that there's the GDS that I can access. So having the normally the design, you just have the sample, you don't have the design files. Yeah, normally you buy something from the shop and you have no idea what's inside, what the materials are. So yeah, it's a bit strange. And I think if you have the design files, so this opens up a lot of opportunities to optimize your imaging. Mm -hmm. uh, and optimizing imaging for chip inspection is is crucial and so okay for me it's it's very nice that i have i can have the gds and be able to do something cool with it and yeah, yeah. and publish it without restriction yes true <laughs> great okay um so yeah i'm really looking forward to coming over and uh seeing what happens run run the experiment um uh, and I hope you like it. yeah definitely i'm so excited and uh thanks very much for your time doing this little kind of intro video if people are interested to find out more about you or your work how can they get in contact uh i i guess you can try googling my name okay There's not many of me <laughs> <laughs> maybe two in the world yeah, yeah okay that should be enough <laughs> thanks great well thanks again for your time thomas um and yeah really looking forward to it